Oh, hey, John. Ready? I, I am, and you? Oh, yeah. I can't wait. I mean, I, I wanted to do this one uh, since we started. I mean, I, I can't believe we never got to Now You See Him Before. I mean, I, I thought uh, we did our last Jack Cassidy with Publisher Parish, but uh, no. I, mean, I was just oh. sitting there the whole time. I have no idea uh, how we missed R- it. R- R- RJ. But, I mean, going back, uh, watching this, I, I couldn't remember having talked about it at all. I mean, the whole secret Nazi thing, Bob Dishy. We, we, we did this. RJ, we did this that, one. That, that sweaty club owner, the guy hey. in the flop. Uh, wait, what? We this episode we we already did it man two years ago. <laughs> you sure? Seems like I would have remembered. Yeah, man, we had Aaron Blair on. Aaron Blair, that yeah, wait, that uh, that gray haired guy who uh, does the video games with uh, Jimmy Fallon. Uh, yeah, Conan, but yeah. Oh, oh, right, 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 yeah, 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 Conan, yeah. Huh. Yeah, it seems like I would have remembered that. Yeah, I, I think you would. You 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 remember he sandbagged us. He hated Columbo, swore a lot. He was like angry about the raincoat. Wait, 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 wait. Oh God. Yeah. Oh no, John. Yeah, yeah. yeah. John, it's coming back. Uh, oh God, John, he was so angry. I I know. I remember it. I remember it all. He was just talking and talking. He wouldn't shut yeah, up. It, it, and he so many swears. Right. Oh God. Oh, oh no, no. No, RJ, no. RJ, RJ, what? RJ, it's fine. We're, it's why we're doing it again with with Lee Beaton. Who? Wait. The, oh, oh, Lee, oh, Lee Beaton. Oh, the Magic Canadian fella. <laughs> yeah, the Magic Canadian. Oh, that's good. He was yeah. he was nice. He was a nice man. Not he like was. a. Not like yeah, yeah. Not like you're a, okay. Him. You okay? You good? Yeah. You, you yeah, yeah. Players. You're... Players. Heron players. <sighs> All right. Yeah, no, I'm good. I'm just, I'm just glad we never had him on again. Oh, uh, yeah, about that. Um, what? Oh, oh, one more thing. Boys, there's one more thing. Uh, just one more thing. Yes, just one more thing. A podcast about Columbo. I'm John Morris. And I'm R.J. White. This time we're talking about Now You See Him. Originally broadcast February 29th, 1976, directed by Harvey Hart, written by Michael Sloan, starring Jack Cassidy, Bob Dishy, Robert Loggia, Cynthia Sykes, and Peter Falk as Columbo. And every episode of the podcast, we're happy to have a special guest join us to discuss the episode. This time around, we're welcoming back our own Master of the Mystic Arts, Lee Beaton. <laughs> but before we bring him on, RJ... Uh, Walk us through the deja vu for this episode. All right. Jack Casty is the great Santini, no relation to Robert Duvall, a popular magician who harbors a deep, dark secret. Uh-oh! He was a Nazi. And not just any Nazi, but an actual SS officer. When his boss, the Cabaret of Magic, wants 50% of his salary or he'll turn him over to the Israeli authorities, Santini, a.k.a. Stefan Mueller, Besides, it's time to kill off the sweaty blackmailer. The deed is done right in the middle of his act, and it's up to Columbo to see through the tricks, or I'm sorry, illusions, <laughs> and figure out how to take down this Houdini of homicide. Also, Columbo has a new coat. All right, there we go. That's it. That's the episode. Welcome back to the program, Lee. How you doing? I'm pretty good. How are you guys? Okay, now this is a bit of awesome. a strange one, because we did discussed this program before uh but it was with someone as a long time listeners to the uh, podcast <laughs> Just, no such thing uh well no <laughs> was not uh 
was not such a fan of this episode or even the very concept of the program Columbo. <laughs> that's more of a big problem there. Yeah. yeah, that's a bigger problem than the episode. Uh, so and and I want to say, I want to yes. say up front that I didn't hate that episode totally. Like I kind of enjoy that episode of your podcast. Oh, well, thank um, you. Yes, even though there are some parts that are agonizing to listen to, obviously, right. when he describes the foundations of Columbo as weird things he doesn't like about it. Right. But um, nevertheless, I thought it was a fun conversation. And what struck me about it was that even despite all of his hatred for everything that it was and represented, he, you could tell he sort of liked Columbo, the guy. And that's the power of Columbo. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um. So yeah, we're doing this one over again, and and we were thought about like, well, who would we do this one again with? We thought like, oh, well, why not uh, bring Lee Beaton back? We had you do the uh, '90s uh, magic themed episode, Columbo Goes the Guillotine. Yeah. Uh, so we thought like, well, you know what? This you would be a very good person, just because you, uh, you're rather schooled, learned, as Homer Simpson would say, or learned, in the uh, in the uh, world of magic, um. So yeah, thank you, you know, for uh, RJ, doing this. RJ, you could really get that patter down, and you could do it too. Oh, I'm sure <laughs> I could too. Yeah, great. <laughs> yeah, patter. I'm now, admittedly, I'm less schooled in this era of campy, crappy magic. Than well, no, let's the... talk about that. Let's talk about that. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the stuff you do know about, the stuff you're into. What what is the view of this sort of era where it's like this very? It seems very almost. Well, yes, show you in a different kind of a way to have this sort of nightclub where people come and eat a bad steak dinner and probably drink cheap wine, and they're just like trapped in this gaudy room for an entire evening, uh, watching a very bad lounge singer, and then this guy come up and then just doing this kind of stuff every single night, every like the same tricks every single day. I mean, what 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 is the view of that in that community? Yeah, I I mean, there's two factors here, because on the one hand, there is that era and that type of magic, which, you know, at the most the best thing you can say about it is that it's just dated now. Um, but then there's also the factor that, you know, this is a TV show. And so we're not actually watching a world class magician as the character is supposed to be. We're just watching Jack Cassidy with some tricks he you know learned for this episode, presumably. So it, it would be a little bit more tolerable if it was a really incredible magician doing mind blowing stuff, I think. <laughs> Right, but this, I mean, it, it, as you said, how would you kind of uh, rate uh, the way they tried to pass Cassie off this? Because um, there are some tricks he does, but then there are a lot of cutaways and camera angles that are used to try to make it, you know, yeah. look like he's doing it. And I thought that, ugh, even as someone who doesn't know much about magic, you could kind of tell that that's what they were doing. Yeah, I'd prefer, though, in a way that they had done that o over the times when they, you know, get him to do tricks. Like when he does that coin pass from one hand to another, it doesn't <laughs> even really look like he's trying to make it look like you put the coin into his other hand. <laughs> so That was you know, literally, yeah, he was just like, watch this trick where I wipe a coin out of my hand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now, now this is the other thing that I don't know. I don't know to what degree anyone with magic knowledge was involved in this episode. We know with the other episode we discussed, it was a magician and a magic writer who wrote the episode. Right. Yeah. And I think that, I don't know if there must've been someone involved, but still it seems to show because there actually are a bunch of tricks that look really great that are super easy to learn or use a trick deck or something that you could teach an actor in a week to do on screen and look like a competent magician. Oh, like but these weren't any of those. 
Oh, well, like, mm-hmm. uh, oh, I thought you said, like, ones that could teach to look competent in this episode, but there weren't any in this episode that looked like that to you? No, not really. I mean, they were all, you know, all the tricks that he does in this episode, I mean, setting aside the big set piece trick that we'll discuss later. Right, but, yes. um, All the other tricks, I mean, no, they're the sort of tricks that are only impressive when someone is so good at them that you, you know, I mean, making a flaming plate appear out from under his cloak and pulling handkerchiefs out of places and passing a coin from one hand to another. We all know what's going on there. So unless someone's really, really good at it, so good at it that you watch them a thousand times and can't see what they did kind of thing. That's the only time it's impressive. Right. So that's the worst type of trick to give to an actor, you know, to learn for an episode of a TV show. Well, even the ones they fake on here, some of them were really strange in that uh, the, uh, there's two sequences where he goes to the audience and stops table to table to um, perform a little trick. And there's one in the first sequence uh, before the murder where he stops at a table and puts a cloak and makes a vase appear from behind <laughs> the cloak. But then you're thinking like, yeah, but uh, like uh, 70 people sitting behind him. Okay, no, actually, that, could see that one's... <laughs> what happened. They could see that there was a, somebody under the table, like, putting a cloak on the table, some stagehand. So it seemed like yeah, a and, weird one. And what's pick. amazing about that is it's not just all the people behind him. If you watch it, it's the two people he's doing it for, <laughs> right, at the table, the cloak. Yeah, are on see. the other side of the cloak. Right, yeah. they're, they're watching. It's very ridiculously staged. Similarly, when he's doing the floating ball on stage, I'm fair, that one's weird because, like, it's set up. For the angle of the camera, which right. would mean that from the audience's angle, you would clearly see the bar that's presumably holding that ball up from behind, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, so, yeah, that's the one, like, this is an excellent Columbo episode. As a Columbo, I love it, and it's one of my favorites. As a magic thing, I don't, I'm, you know, it's a yeah, mixed bag. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about it for a bit then, as, or, or for most of this, as a Columbo episode, in which, yeah, you're right. This is a very, very good Columbo episode, I think. Not just because, not just because it has Jack Cassidy, but it's a good setup, a good convoluted murder, and the way uh, Columbo just traps the guy is wonderful every step of the way. Oh, yeah. And can we start with right off the bat, Columbo comes in with a bag of greasy chicken parts. Yes! Oh, right. lovely. He's trying to hand out right. to people. Well, that's my dinner. It's my dinner. A greasy paper sack full of chicken. <laughs> <laughs> amazing because he was in a there's, uh, yeah there's so many like just amazing little columboisms things that intimate what he was doing in the scene before or what he's about to go do which i think is one of the strengths of the character so he walks in with his lunch the 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 new overcoat gives them lots of opportunities oh, to sort yes. of trace columbo's passage around the world yep. you left this in your car you left this in the office this was in lost and found so you can kind of like make these neat connections as to, like a what's what we call in, in family circus little billy would walk around the neighborhood oh, yeah, those those uh, little dotted lines that come out of some yeah. mechanical thing in his backpack yeah so out of out of this episode you kind of can like figure out columbo's dotted line mm-hmm. right and the overcoat is the raincoat is sort of a, a meta joke essentially <laughs> like it, it's yeah. it's there because people associate him with his raincoat and there's another one in this episode when the old vaudeville guy says i think he could even imitate you mm-hmm. and oh. i just think it's yeah <laughs> which i, I think again is yeah. well because colombo was you know one of the most popular impressions for comedians right right yeah, yeah yeah oh yeah I think about that that's good yeah well, they like actually the going back to the coat too. 
he he gets to a point when you first see him in this like new brown seventies coat where he's trying to like do the you know what Peter Falk always did, like that crossed fingers thing, and he just can't get comfortable. He's like, I can't think in this. And so he has yeah. to like, just throw it off because he can't just do his normal like emotions, his normal like body language, and actually get to the point where he actually concentrate on what happened in the murder scene and everything, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, it's a great it's a great bit, both as a gag, but also as like a some color for his character. The, yeah, it's like reinforcing really... the character, yeah. Yeah, and they chose it really well because the coat does fit him better and look better on him, right? Oh, yeah, and, yeah. You know, right. yeah. I also like when he tells his dog to look the other way if anyone tries to steal it. Which is yes, nice. right. Yes. Very good dog moment, yes. Yeah. Um, let, let, let's uh, talk about uh, the actual the basis of Jack Cassidy's character a little bit. How it's so creepy that, oh, he was a Nazi, the guy was a goddamn SS Nazi back during that World was... War II, which is such a strange basis for thing. And uh, we tried talking about this a little bit uh, when Blair was on the program. But given this is 1976, it's not super far away from... Like, there's people who would still have memories of that. Yeah, so it seemed like be, such a weird... There's a lot of Holocaust harsh... survivors in the U.S. at that point. Yes, yeah, a weird, right. harsh choice. And so that, I re yeah because I was I was re-listening to that episode of the podcast before coming on to do this one. I, I bless, never have. Bless your heart. I never have, and I never will. But yes, <laughs> uh, it's fun. Um, but I was thinking about what you were saying there because then I started to wonder: was maybe the whole sort of specter of ex Nazis hiding in alternate lives in the oh. West? Uh, like, was that almost maybe like a ripped from the headlines or ripped from the popular imagination <laughs> right, like, type when, of when, plot? Yeah, because when did Boys from Brazil come out? Was that early 80s or late 70s? Or was that, that was late 70s, but there's a, there's a really famous – actually, there's uh, – I was going to attribute this to one comic book, but there have been dozens of dozens of comics throughout the 1940s, late 40s and 1950s that were somebody walking down the street, getting in the subway, getting on a train – they're, they had come from a concentration camp. They come to America, yeah. start their lives over, and they see somebody, and it's a guard, or it's or it's Hitler, or it's someone they just remet, like someone who betrayed them in the camps. Well, I've seen that, that was TV really shows too. Like, it, yeah, that's come up TV shows. Mm -hmm. yes. So, so anyway, I think that Sorry. conversely to what you were saying, that like it's you know, oh, that's so so soon that it might still be a raw issue. I think it's the opposite. I think that's maybe a trope that was bigger at the time that's faded since. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think age has probably diminished it. Although I did find myself, and never in my life has I have I had a an iota of concern for these people. But I thought, I wonder how the opening scene went down with Holocaust deniers. Oh, God. which of course were in huge abundance in the nineteen seventies, and mm -hmm. or, I mean even in the sixties like, yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And it was just because he flat out. You know, he says you're in a concentration camp. I think the word Holocaust is mentioned. I couldn't remember. Well, ovens is mentioned anyway. Ovens, that yeah. was it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, there must have been people watching this who were just like that was it. The TV had to go off at that point. Oh yeah, no, right. definitely, yeah. And I think it's, it's like good. And also, good. well, and and even worse, like the um, the owner of the club, uh, Jesse Jerome, I think is the character's name. Mm -hmm. When he's confronting him about it, he wants you know blackmailing him, or else he's going to expose him. He's going to uh, turn him over while he's sweating and eating the shrimp cocktail uh, and his, his ornate office. Um, and when, when, um, uh, Santini slash Stefan Mueller leaves, gives him a little Heil Hitler, 
Which, right, oh my yeah. god, that is such a dark, dark, awful, weird thing to throw in. And it's nice, too, because it, it nails down what a creep that guy is, because he does right. it snidely. You know? Yes, oh yeah, he does it as like kind of an ironic sort of like, oh, there you go, you're going to like hearing this, aren't you? Like, uh. But it's still just, even this far removed, it's kind of, it's very unpleasant to see that. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I think it's especially unpleasant because the guy didn't. It wasn't that uh, Mueller had been a Nazi and he's working with this guy as a Nazi. No, he just he, knew it was something he could stick his finger in the bullet hole and twist it. Right. Yeah. Because he so just, he's just wretched. He, just wants, on he wants money from the guy because he was bitter that he had left him to go on to like other uh, larger gigs. So he's not doing it right. out of any sort of notion of, oh, you deserve to, you know, face. Uh, criminal time for what you've done. He's like, no, I'm just going to use it to like get money out of you because you screwed yeah. me over earlier, and that's it. But then, so then he uses that to like, ugh. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so I think boy. we can all agree, really, really justly murdered in the opening. Which I mean, that's kind of interesting because I mean, that doesn't come up super often, but it's once in a while in the show where you feel like, okay, murder's a bad thing, but then also you kind of feel like. I'm not 100% sorry that guy got that. Exactly. And this is one of those fellas where you feel like that. We're like, eh, no one deserves to be murdered in cold blood. But, but eh, yeah. you can make exceptions once in a while. This is one of those well, guys where you can make that exception, I think. It works out because Santini got caught, right? If he, if, if he, got mur- if he murdered him and then got away forever, then I don't know if we'd feel so good about it. True. Right. <laughs> Absolutely yeah. true. Yeah. Um, so uh, what the, are some merrier parts of this show? <laughs> okay, right, so yeah. the, Let's so get the away first from the Nazi big, stuff yeah. for a second, the first, big, the first big evidence thing is, like, Columbo obsessing over how the body fell, right? Yes, which, yeah. oh my and, god, that scene is wonderful, and like, you, you're seeing just laid out the thought process and the really methodically working that out, and that scene goes on for so long, and it's great, where he just won't let it go. Yeah, it's Every really aspect. one. I like everything about it except that they never bother to explain how the body fell face down, and which even seems to like directly contradict his conclusion about what happened. I'm going to throw out a pitch there. Okay. Uh, the victim was fat. Right. So he's going to fall the way all of his body weight is hanging. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Oh, he's got. Maybe. He's going to. He's going to move towards the Dunlap. Right. Yeah, I mean, I chalked it up to weird stuff happens when people get shot, but, you right. know, still, it bugged me. Uh, um, and, also, uh, and also, in the course of that scene, uh, finding out that uh, Columbo, for all intents and purposes, pretty much just fucking hates Sergeant Wilson. From the, yeah. from the get-go, you realize he really doesn't like that guy. And so the other surprising. episode... Yeah, because the other episode was like three years prior. I thought it was nearer, and then I looked it up, and I was like, oh, that was three years before that the other Sergeant Wilson episode happened. And And then they just bring him back for no reason. And and Columbo just apparently he's interacted with him in the intervening time that the audience hasn't seen and just has no use for the fella. My God. And 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 I always felt – oh, go ahead, sorry. No, please, you're our guest. Well, fair. I was going to say I always felt sorry for Wilson until – he thought Santini was actually in the cube in the water, and then I lost all sympathy <laughs> for him. Forever. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah, I had a hard time figuring out what they were trying to play with Wilson's character because he didn't seem like a moron at first. But then he just does. And then he just gets dumber out. as the episode goes on. Yeah, he's a he's a freaking idiot by the end of it. 
Yeah, he's yeah. much smarter than the Mrs. Columbo pilot. <laughs> and even then, he's just mansplaining everything. Right, exactly, yeah. And isn't that murder solved just, like, by accident? Like, none of the episode mattered? The mur- the murderer just leaves the murder weapon in a jacket or whatever? I think so. God, I can't remember. It's been a while. Yeah, that's the, I tried that's to the block it out. It's like remember. the jar with the poison is just, like, in the pocket of the dressing gown she gives to Mrs. Columbo at the end. Because she oh, forgot, oh, because no, she forgot the, it uh, in there. The one that Dishy is in is actually, like, a terrifying uh, psychosexual thriller thing, and it's awful. And, oh, with, okay. and with um, and with um, uh, Robert Culp actually hiring a guy to kill his wife that he doesn't like wow. anymore because she's become homely, I guess. We're gonna get to Supposedly. that one. I'm gonna we're gonna do it. Okay, oh, I, I, I want to see some more one. Mrs. Columbo. <laughs> All right, but, we'll uh, see. Anyway, yeah, anyway. The, uh, yeah, he should, he's check uh, it out, everybody, if you can find it online. Yeah, Dishy is on twice. He's in the Greenhouse Jungle in '72, and then now you see him in '76, and he changes his name. Oh right! Oh, what's really? what, yeah? Because what was his name in the other he's, one? Because he's Frederick Wilson in the first one and right. John Wilson in the second one. Yes. Hmm. Well, maybe it's uh, Frederick Jonathan Frederick Wilson. Wilson. Yeah, and he maybe. decided I'm gonna do. I'm gonna like that better. Jonathan sounds more butch. <laughs> On his face when he's typing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, he's weirdly smug about the few things he does well. Yes, and they're just really weird, sad things. Right. And then he's completely wrong about every single deduction he tries to make throughout the entire thing. Like, the the, the scene in the uh, locksmith shop is wonderful where he shows up. And he just keeps interrupting. Like, he, the, this lieutenant, he's probably doing something. He's probably talking to this guy. It's something important. And he still just keeps trying to interrupt and just get in there like, I gotta talk to you. It's probably, yeah. Columbo's probably working on something that is actually smart and works. And you... Uh, just go outside and wait. Well, you can you see where his yes. patience winds down, and it's a really great scene where uh, uh, D- uh, Wilson comes up to him and he starts offering a uh, an alternate theory of the case. Oh and yes, patiently listens and then says, "Right, it was the magician." Well, and just then flat just, out, <laughs> just flat out, just tells him exactly who it is, which then leads to the other just very blunt scene, um, towards the end. Where uh, it's just after like uh, working on the typewriter, Santini comes in and asks, like, oh, oh, do do you have a suspect? We do, but we don't have a motive for you. Where Columbus just yeah. flats out, just tells yeah. him like, we know it's you. We're just waiting. It's a matter of time. Yeah. So I, when do you think Columbo clocks to is him? Like, because that's always a good question. I think it's very oh. early in this episode. Oh like, yeah, I, it's oh, super yeah. early. I've yeah. got it written down someplace. Hold I think on. I have a specific scene that I because it, it's. It, the, well, I think it's the moment he meets him and he says, Santini says, I was informed of it when I came off stage. And then Columbo goes, really? Like he immediately says it with this suspicious sound in his voice. And I mm-hmm. think it's right. Those are the first words they speak to each other. And I think it's right there because it's That's always funny. the first person who volunteers information about their alibi who did. it. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I, I got it written down. It's like as soon as he I got as uh, soon as Columbo knows about the lock being picked, that's when he knows. It's right. probably him. That, I think that, yeah. that's where I had it written down. Yeah. yeah. I, my, for my part, and I'm sure he had it before this, but there's the scene where um, he's watching Santini perform on stage and uh, interrupts him. And then Santini says, who is that? Starts talking. And then before he gets to the end of his first sentence, says, Lieutenant Columbo, and then continues talking. 
Right. Mm. Which is a, which is very which is terrifically dismissive. It obviously was meant to get under Santini's skin. Cassidy plays it like it very much did. Yes. And right. I love it. Yeah. yeah. That's like Jack Cassidy is wonderful in this. I mean I, I love Jack Cassidy in all his episodes, but this one he plays like just very imperious mm-hmm. annoyed asshole so well in this one. Yeah, he doesn't the have ones... the sense of humor he has in the other two. Yes. No, that John, that's exactly it. Yes. That's exactly, it's really, exactly it. Yes. It's funny that you call him imperious, because also later in the episode when he wants to call Columbo an empiricist philosopher, he calls oh. him an imperiousist philosopher. Oh, I didn't catch that. <laughs> he accidentally, maybe he oh. was thinking about how his, maybe the word imperious was on his mind from like workshopping the character. <laughs> or just uh, it falls along the same line as quid quo pro. Yeah. Or it just got in there who nobody noticed who cared. Yeah. <laughs> We already, so we already the, shot it. We're not going back. Yeah, exactly. So the whole, the whole thing about his plot is that, you know, and he sort of says it himself right before the bad coin trick about how he has both the best and the worst alibi. Because really, he has. It's a stupid alibi. <laughs> like oh, yeah. it's actually he commits the murder during the one time when the only <laughs> thing that's certain is that there's no evidence of where he is. Yeah. Like, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. There's but, actually one of. Uh, isn't one of. Sergeant Wilson's original ideas is that he hired a hitman. I think so, yes. Yeah, so like that actually would have been a better way to do it. Yeah. 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 That's not. Yeah. Made himself. That's also what Santini says to throw Columbo off. He's like, oh, it looks like a uh, professional killer. Oh, that's right. He says that because he was involved with the mob. Yeah. Right, which is another classic (laughs) Columbo villain thing just like well here's how i think it probably happened which also right. is always going to put him on your trail don't do that don't i like the idea that he he probably could have because you know the mob is always a good evil alternative and anything relating to the 70s but i mean he could have just straight up blamed it on nazis if he wanted that's right that, yes. that could have yeah. thrown the cops well off the trail yeah a bunch <laughs> of nazis came up from argentina a hit squad <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> of Nazis, they brought their robot. They brought the robot? Yeah, oh, their secret Nazi robot from their laboratory down there. Oh, they got I, all uh, sorts of robots. You know, I'm going to de- derail this just for a second to mention one of my favorite comic book villains who came out in the 1970s when our fear of South American Nazis and South American killer bees were at their highest. Oh, no. And it created <clears throat> a Nazi uh, apiarist, I believe it is. Uh-huh. Uh, a man who found mutated killer bees that had been affected by a meteorite, but they were pacifists, so he trained them to be killers, and then they ate him, and he became bees. Oh, I think I've read about this comic. <laughs> was this Marvel Swarm. or DC? Swarm. It was, was a Marvel, Marvel comic. It was Marvel? That's yeah, yeah, bad. yeah. I remember, okay. It's, just a, it's a beautiful concatenation of these two terrible fears of the 70s. <laughs> oh, God. Killer wow. bees and hidden Nazis. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. Um, the other moment that Santini <laughs> totally gives himself away is when, like, the, you know, Columbo finds him in the basement and says, "Like, you didn't leave the basement." And Santini's like, "What if I left and went out those doors and turned to the right and then went up the stairs and the left and went through the kitchen and da 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 da? Someone would have seen me." And he like describes in right. great detail yes, exactly the exact how he did it. Like, yes. <laughs> yeah, right. Gave him the map to how he committed the murder. Yeah. And then it would have gone upstairs, and the back of his shirt would have been wet because he was writing on the typewriter. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, can I tell all this? The, oh, sorry, go ahead, John, please. I was just going to say, I was going to get us off the main plot because I wanted to talk about the B plot a little bit. All right. Because what is the point of it? 
which this was wait, yeah, as much A as plot? I love the I love the A plot so much, but Santini's daughter being involved with that really terrible lounge singer. Oh, the the, the uh, dollar. Oh, yeah, the cut dime, it all. Yeah, the yeah. dime store um, Robert Wagner Crooner. guy. Yeah, yeah, and then he was uh, and like you got the idea that he was going to try to frame him, but, but no. it never manifested itself. So the fact that he hated the singer, was protective of his daughter, it all, by the middle of the episode, it's all disappeared. Mm-hmm. As said the daughter. She played no role in the rest of the episode at all. Yeah. Once, there's that scene where Santini's having a, a dinner conversation with the woman he's trying to make a traveling companion out of. Yeah, until you replace his daughter with this lady, yeah. Yeah, basically, that was it. Mm-hmm. They, traded, they traded him out. Like, one I can actually have sex with, as opposed to one I uh, have sex with. Yeah. I wonder if the script was, like, two hours, and they had to cut a bunch of stuff that made that plot line matter, but didn't couldn't cut further and just get rid of those characters entirely, which they should have. Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. That makes sense. I think, they, you know, they felt like they had... Because they had a sufficient B-plot with Wilson messing around with Columbo. Yeah. Yeah. Well, definitely. They didn't, you know, they didn't really need to go anywhere else, but I don't know. Now... What about the magic store? Yeah. Oh, with Thayer David? Oh, God, that Thayer David, which was the first time I saw this, I assumed, oh, well, maybe he's like some sort of odd uh, magic uh, personality from the 70s. Yeah, he has the look like that. They put in there like, no, no, he's just, he's just a weird, weird, creepy actor, and he's great in it. I love him playing that. Because I, as a kid, I, I used to go to like magic shops and uh, th- that kind of guy would right. usually be in those shops. Yeah. So that was yeah, I looked casting. him up, and he's—I looked him up, and he goes back to like all the like company branded theater shows from yeah. the early days yes. of television. Yeah, no, yeah. He, he was—he was definitely this very dreaming actor, but he—he he was the perfect kind of peculiar fellow to put in this thing for sure. What was uh, yeah. what? What's the name of that actor who was in all the the Hammer horror films and was Blofeld? Charles White. Oh, yeah, I Charles. Think. Yeah, Charles. That's not right. Remember. We don't have that correct. No, but that that, that he, you're right. He I was reminds re- me of. Him. I ended up. Re- yeah, he was. I was referring to uh, Thayer as the made-for-TV version. Charles Gray. Charles Gray. That's, that's it. it. I was yes. the made for the yeah, made-for-TV yeah. Charles. It was Gray. in uh, Diamonds Are Forever. Was this big one in there? Yeah. There you go. Um, yeah, I really thought it was. I thought I was going to find out this guy was a magician, like y'all said, but nope. And apparently, they didn't have Ricky Jay's number yet. So, <laughs> um, and you guys titled the last episode about this after the line from that scene, "The Gaff in a Head Act." I know. But then you never talked. You never talked about it. Which I know. Me. Yes. Well, we did, well, we, we, we didn't we really tried. have a chance to. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> quite get around to it. You were too busy talking about whether Columbo should exist at all. Exactly. No, <laughs> yeah. but I love that. I love that they threw some like a nice con man carney slaying into the show mm-hmm. i always love when they do that and so yeah no that was that was like yeah that was wonderful what was the other and they say it three the... times the the yeah. magic store guy says it columbo says it and then mm-hmm. the tightrope walker guy says it yes oh let's talk about him a bit yeah because that's an interesting i love when he first shows up because it actually gives you a little bit of uh humanity to santini uh that is quickly eroded and then when Columbo goes to see the guy, yeah, he's in this like a weird little flea bag apartment. Columbo, and you rarely see him share a drink with anybody he's talking to. Columbo gladly uh, gets a beer from the guy's fridge, but 
Columbo is nicer than anything. Ask him, like, oh, is it got a hot plate? That's your hot plate? Oh, that's great. Where's yeah, the way, Oh, it's down the hall. He, He's so nice to him. It's great. I love that scene with him. He he is really nice, though. He, he it's like weirdly interrogating too. I, it's kind yeah. of odd. But yeah, but but he's like yeah. he like he seems like it's a lot. Like Columbo is a lot more, as we've seen many other times in the show, a lot more at ease talking to somebody like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Something about that whole scene, I feel like Columbo flew to New York for that scene and then flew back. <laughs> yes. that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's like no, a New yeah, York tenement that, house. Yes, that's ex- exactly what that seemed like. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's it's got to be one of those homes for old actors, and those are those are a dime a dozen out in L.A. Uh, right. Or at least they were in the day. I, think, I imagine they've all been bulldozed and replaced with malls and stuff. Oh, sure, yeah, probably. But that that's what it <laughs> felt like. Like, oh, yeah, 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 use the uh, shower down the hall. Get your own bath? Yeah. No, no, use it down there. Oh, okay. Part of me was wondering if this was just Columbo. This was like Columbo's retirement plan. <laughs> yeah, just... yeah. You know? Either, that, just... either that or the apartment at the end of a friend in... And knee, indeed. Like those two things. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> he like remade in his in his image. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. He just seemed so excited about like he asked about maid service and he kind of felt like eh. Yeah, Didn't yeah, get the maid service. He was a little upset about that. <laughs> What's his name? Mike Lally. Well, actually, the actor's name was Mike Lally, and his character's name, the thing, was Mike Lally. So that seems weird to me too that they would just. Oh, and he was in several Columbo episodes. He did look familiar. Oh, he was in 23 they... episodes. A lot of uncredited things as parking lot guard, campaign worker, bartender, man in bank vault. Frank. I remember him twice. I met, he's on two as a bartender, I think. Stitch in crime, cop with orange juice. <laughs> oh, that's, that's an important he was the He was the tram operator in Short Fuse. That's also an important one. Okay. Um, yeah, parking lot guard and double exposure. Old, Mali, old man in alley and negative reaction. Mike Lally in the alley. Yep, uh, mm-hmm. detective in By Dawn's Early Light, uh, waiter in Troubled Waters, man in Snack Bar and Playback. Yeah, no, he was in a lot of them. So he had some sort of... Oh, he was a chess player at the club in the Buy High, Sky High <laughs> IQ murder case. Oh, wow. So really, it doesn't over... appear there'd be a Columbo without him. Yeah, gosh. Wow, yeah, he was in a ton of these things. So now yeah. I'm wondering like, what his connection was to somebody who worked under Peter Falk or something. Seems like that would be the... Well, no, he's oh. been in movies. He's in It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, oh, yeah, actually, was... he was an old-fashioned murderer. He was a sergeant, so he had an accredited thing yeah. where he had lines. I don't remember him in that. How weird. But We're he gonna. Was in it's we a just... Wonderful Life. Oh, he, he was a. He was one of the customers during the raid on the credit union. Oh, okay. Yeah. My God, his, his... But I mean, he's he's in Citizen Kane. He runs the newsreel in Citizen Kane. My God! <laughs> wow, this guy's got quite a career. Mike Lally, he... holy crap! Yeah, Mike Lally, ninety percent of it, ninety percent of it is uncredited. Like every single thing on yeah. IMDb is parentheses uncredited. So what is his connection to the industry? Like that's so strange. Yeah, there's got to be a story there. Now that's fascinating. <laughs> he's he's one. I'll look up. I'll see what I can gather about him. But he's just probably one of those guys who was just making his career as a background player. Wow. Yeah, and he probably just works hard and has that knack for looking normal in the background, and so <laughs> oh, no, people hold keep on. bringing him I'm, back. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want to back up a little bit. No, oh, okay. No, what? what? Well, it's because he, along with Douglas Fairbanks Jr. and Ronald Reagan, organized the Actors Guild. Holy crap! <laughs> what? That's amazing. That's oh, amazing. My oh my god! That is, that is that's absolutely huge. Being, 
That's the third guy in the Moonlander right there. So there's That's like one huge. of the most important people in Hollywood history. It's just yes. been like in the background of all, all these Columbo episodes. Yep. <laughs> Citizen yep. Kane. And like... I just drinking a beer in this episode. It is a weird little like uh, flop house apartment. Wow. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> that's incredible. Ocean's uh, Eleven, just... American Legionnaire at the funeral service in the end scene. It's got to be. Wow. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll give you one more. His uh, his godfather was four-time New York Governor Alfred E. Smith. What? Al Smith was his godfather? Oh, my yep. God. This is this is one of the great things this that I like astounding. about doing shows or about shows like this or the show we're doing is that you, you deep dive onto something you didn't even know existed. This is incredible. You would have thought yeah. to look for it. This is amazing. This this is. Yeah, I feel I like mean, there needs to be a documentary about this guy. Yeah. yeah. His his very last credit My, was uh, Murder Under Glass in 1978 as a fruit seller. So the, uh, our next thing after we're done with this podcast is we're just going to do the Mike Lally experience. Yeah. So we've seen him. We've seen his very last appearance on screen uh, when Columbo was in the market uh, with a guy from um, St. Elsewhere. He was a fruit seller in the background somewhere. <laughs> and we have no idea. That's incredible. Amazing. Well, God bless you, Mike Lally. That's fantastic. Way to go, man. Way to go. Goodness gracious. I'm, I'm a little... Someone else go. I'm a little, I'm a little uh, surprised and overcome by this. I got kind of overwhelmed. Lee, you got anything? Yeah. Um, so when Columbo takes the lock in to be examined, he takes oh, it into this good. like sci-fi lab full of bubbling tubes yeah. and green yes, liquid, that's and it's great. hilarious. Where it seems like that's something that would have been out of like the uh, the '82 uh, Police Squad TV show. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the it's not the first or last time we see the police lab looking like it was from a Roger Corman set. <laughs> Right. Yeah, right, exactly. For for some I don't know why they didn't just like police labs are just grimy places filled with boxes and labels. And yet and except I know on TV now they all are like super scientific mythbuster locales. But why this show went for bubbling open air chemicals. Yeah, is right, beyond where like a Robbie the robot would be stepping yeah. in at some point. <laughs> There's also not to sidetrack too much, but I recently rewatched a nineties episode I'd forgotten about where one of the lab technicians is the murderer and is like working with Columbo the whole time. Oh, it's but a also little bit dis- oh, yeah. sledgehammer, yes. Sledgehammer. Yeah, we haven't Sledge- seen that one yet. I want to talk about that. We're yeah. gonna get to that, baby. That's a yeah. good one. That also has a, a Barney's Beanery in it. Which yes, is- oh, it does. Okay. And it, it does. And a, oh. a bafflingly long recap scene where Columbo <laughs> takes way too long to explain how he figured it out at the end in uh, Barney's Beanery. Well, the nineties are. Yeah. No, it's amazing. Amazing. Yeah. All right. It's like he's just explaining that he saw the guy push some sugar across the table to the woman. That's it. I just explained Don't it. Don't ruin it for me. I haven't <laughs> seen it in a long time. It, that takes that takes him five minutes to explain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's they much quicker in this sugar. it's much quicker in this one, uh the reveal at the end and the trapping at the end. And it's very good too. Should we get to that yeah, now or trapping. should we like uh, do something? Yeah, we may as well jump on it. We can back we on it later. Oh, you sure. know what I, I like about though is uh I, I was thrown back in time by the clue of the sweaty lower back. How because... so? Because my lower back still sweats when I type things at a computer. Well, you and have this, like a leather the 21st chair. Century, right? huh? Do you have a leather? You have a leather chair? Oh no, I'm just sweaty. Okay, I'm just a sweaty uh, man. because I when you know, like I'd visit my dad at work when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and you would see that all the time. People would be walking up and down the halls with that little square of sweat on their back. And I always thought it was absolutely bizarre. And now that we have ergonomic chairs that have breathable fabric, 
and all this you know nonsense on it, you don't get that anymore. You don't get up from the desk with a big sweat stain on your back. Hmm. Yeah, so it's right. I feel back through nostalgia looking at sweaty look at, me, the looking, back of looking men's at sweaty shirts. A shrimp eaten dude's sweaty shirt. I love it. He's eating shrimp. Shrimp cocktail is just like the most hilarious food and to me. A, well, he's, eat, he's eating. He's eating a giant shrimp cocktail in this big ornate silver dish, and then he's drinking like a very very fake. A TV show slash movie wine, which you can see yeah. through like it's like a, a Kool Aid. It's clearly Kool Aid, and it's yeah. just like ugh. It just none of it looks appetizing at all. I'm and just he's always really sus- like a bastard. <laughs> I'm just really always really suspicious of shrimp cocktail because yeah. So I mean, this is what I don't understand is I don't understand why shrimp like if you want to buy sh- frozen or fresh shrimp to cook something is actually quite expensive, but shrimp rings frozen and cooked with uh, sauce in the middle are like a dollar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> are did they is that their natural form and like I don't know. <laughs> they have it takes they a bunch of processing yeah. to get them into a bag for I've barbecue, never had or... like any, any sort of vaguely uh, low cooked meat Especially uh-huh. fish, I am suspicious of. I can't. And so the seeing like people just going nuts over shrimp cocktail, like their little tails hanging out in the ring, and then you just like dip it in like a really spicy ketchup. It's like, ugh, no. I, I like it. Like if out. it came out of the fridge that minute, and I know it's super fresh, and I'll have a couple, and then I'll walk away. <laughs> but if you know anything about food so- food service and the way things are actually put together in a a kitchen in a bit like a high capacity restaurant, you know, it ain't going to be fresh. Yeah. No. I, what yeah. I like about shrimp cocktail is that it has somehow has the veneer of class. Yes. Why? That's right. It, People think but it it's is fancy. a super gross food. There's, There's nothing a... fancy about it, but always it's like, Oh, well I've got room service in a, in a nice hotel. I'm going to order a shrimp cocktail. No. Why? Yeah, order a steak. They <laughs> yes, have great exactly. steak. Steaks service. are classy. Yeah. Yes. There's a there's an Akewood joke where uh, they describe someone's mother as eating shrimp cocktail in church, <laughs> which always cracks me up. And uh, on one of my little side projects, Buddy Nutkiss, the sticky uh, comic on yes. uh, Twitter, that's right. He has a jo- was a joke about his one of his <laughs> wives turning out to have been a dude, and she was like eating shrimp cocktail and shaving her balls. What? <laughs> so. Okay. Shrimp cocktail always just sounds to me like a really good accessory for an incredibly tacky joke. Yes, because <laughs> right. it's supposed to be like, oh, well, yeah, I'm doing this weird thing on the side, but I'm eating shrimp cocktail while doing it, so I'm <laughs> I'm classy. Also, like a gigantic silver party bowl of it. Not like <laughs> oh, yes. a per- not like, you know, yeah. a shrimp cocktail for one at a restaurant is served usually in like a glass or something with like a few shrimp, you know, not in like th- that's what you would have on a buffet table, a gigantic silver bowl of shrimp cocktail. Well, Jesse Jerome <laughs> owns the place so he can have, he can command right, Robert right. Loggia to bring him a giant terrine of shrimp cocktail if he wishes. I bet that's why the... Or they're short on cash and it's the leftovers from the lunch buffet. Like, it up what the guests didn't get to. Wait, so so what's... Wait, I got... Okay, you bring up an interesting thing in my head now. What's the magic act like for the lunch buffet crowd? No, it's just it's just twelve hours of that guy singing until Santini comes on. <laughs> no, that's his, I think it's his daughter doing that incredibly lame scarf dance. Yeah, that's yeah. it. That's it. That somehow from, the from audience eleven thirty from eleven thirty to two is just him singing and her like waving scarfs around. <laughs> uh, that's the, the matinee. Uh, that's the matinee show. Wednesday one of the through fun things to Saturday. Do if you, if you're rewatching this or if you're watching it for the first time, is pay a lot of attention 
at how the audience members are really forcing intense delight. Oh yeah. Oh my yeah. god. There's there's one guy who's just he's clapping and he's rolling his head around and smiling. We won't blink. <laughs> And he's just clearly like, oh, my, this is the greatest thing. Yes. It looks insane. It's yeah. so unconvincing. It's <laughs> yeah. it's like, you know, do you ever watch, you know, it's like when you watch um, someone who's just not funny, but for whatever reason, the crowd in the room they're in thinks they are. And so you see them tell a joke and then you see a reaction shot of people just busting a gut laughing and you just get angry. Yes. Oh. Like that was not that funny. Stop laughing. What are you doing? Can I derail us again? Because I want to tell an anecdote oh, about yeah, that. Yeah, this has yeah, yeah. made me furious we're, for years. We're, we're like, a, what, uh, two, three years into this thing? Like <laughs> episode number 44 or 45. You really yeah. don't have to ask permission to go off on a tangent. We're okay. I think I was just, I was just, I was trying to like put a leash on your little terrier stuff, man. But, uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so years and years ago, I went to go see George Carlin uh, live on stage, mm. and he had a couple local comedians open for him, which is you know they're fine. And i i don't I don't expect anything out of them, but I'm not I'm not like angry about it. You know what you know what I mean? Because right. like it's sometimes like, you're like, oh, I want to I want to see the main comedian. I don't want to see this. You know shitty where they local. stand in that? You could come late if you wanted to or not. You got to reserve seats. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm in my seat. They're telling jokes. People are laughing. I'm like, fine. They're laughing. It was, it was two or three comedians, and one of them comes out with his guitar. The second I see the guitar, I'm like, oh, oh no. Christ. That's oh, like yeah. when I was a kid going to mass. <laughs> I, I, I mass. If I went to the early mass, if I went to early mass on Sundays, and I get there, I sit down, and I see like, oh, God, it's oh, it's a folk mass. Oh, no. Oh, it's a folk trio doing the music. We're getting the organ today. I hated that as a kid. It was like, oh, God, no. It's terrible. That does sound but, uh, but so the guy's shtick was he was doing obviously he was doing impressions and then playing a little song. And uh, the woman ahead of me was just having the time of her life. She thought this was the funniest thing she'd ever seen. So he does. He's got a guitar. He does impressions. So, of course, he does our most recent Nobel Literature Prize winner, Bob Dylan. Was it Gary uh-huh. Mule Deer? No, it was probably not. Gary. Okay. <laughs> but he does the you know he does the the typical Dylan impression. Yeah. And I think the joke was, what if you invited all the greatest rock stars oh, no. uh, to a to a Thanksgiving dinner? Oh, <laughs> and so oh that's oh, gold. No. <laughs> was Dylan going? Please pass the mashed potatoes, and that was his whole joke. Oh, and no. then everybody laughs. Everybody laughs. And he does something about Robert Plant asking for cranberries or something, <laughs> and the woman. After he does that, the woman ahead of me, who is losing her shit, turns to her boyfriend or her husband or whoever it was, and barely able to say it through the laughter, says, that, that, that is exactly what Bob Dylan sounds like. And I'm like, he's on Robert Plant. He's on Robert Plant. I just almost, I suddenly almost lost it. I was just in my seat shaking. Uh, it's, there are certain people you can make them laugh just by saying something with the cadence of a joke. Right. And they're like, they're oh, used- that was a joke that he said. Ah, I like jokes. There's that one. Sim- Homer Simpson says that once where he goes, oh, a joke. I like jokes. Yes. And that's what I yeah, think exactly. of those people as being like. It's like, here is the rhythm I'm doing. Get it? And then they go, oh, yeah. 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 I just I dread that whole era. Plus, I was watching Carlin. And it started off right. with a guitar impressionist. It was yeah, so really. Anyway, anyway. Yeah. yeah. Back to Columbo. Sure, um, sure, What else did so I we, want to say about it? We didn't it. talk about Robert Legia enough. No, we didn't. Which, uh, one of my favorite scenes in this is at the end, actually, uh, when they're bringing Santini in 
too. And you know what? They never give a first name for Santini as Santini. No, they don't. No. They refer to him Santini or the great Santini, and that's it. Uh, but when they bring him in at the end, or Logia is there, when he comes in, you know, he's like, oh, hey, Blanford, whatever his name is, like, hey, what's going on? And Robert Loggia looks at him with such hatred because he's obviously been told what's going mm-hmm. on. Yeah. And he's just so angry at him because he knows now what it is. And it, it was actually one of my favorite, like, acting uh, bits of the episode was just how angry he looked at him. And it seemed like he had to kind of force himself, like, yep, sorry, I got to go away. And just, like, had to force himself not to leave and not punch the guy in the face right there. I yeah, he said great. he said I'm I'm busy and then took off, which is an amazing blow off. Yeah, yeah, it was a it complete just, blow off. There there was a lot of anger behind that, which I thought was great the way Logia played it. But it's a weird. Yeah. Like, don't sm- we like earlier in the episode see Santini get him to give Colombo a better table, or is it someone else? I forget. Oh, now, it's a different but, guy. Yeah. It's a different way. Oh, okay, guy. Yeah. Yeah. but still, Santini runs the place. He's star of the show, but now this guy won't talk to him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, Loja. It's a weird small role for him, yeah. but he's he's good mm-hmm. in it. Yeah, like I'm not sure. Like, what kind of stuff was he? Was he a bigger star than I would think at the time, or no? I feel well. The seventies were really his heyday. Yeah, so it seemed like it was kind so of would, would have been a big deal to get him on as a guest star in this, playing a head waiter, maitre d kind of character. Probably no more of a big get than about half of the folks. Like you know, Janet Lee was a big get. Right. They had they got like big gets about every third episode. Yeah. Okay. He was on a ton of Rockford Files. Really, Loja was. Yeah, different Loja is different characters each time. How weird. Because he's a he's pretty on, distinctive well, dude. It seems like he would, well, he'd be a recurring gangster or something. Here, here you go. Okay. He was on, he was on, in 1976, he was on Wonder Woman as Hans Eichler in an episode, <laughs> what? An episode yeah. titled Wonder Woman vs. Gargantua. Oh, that seems like <laughs> wow. that's a hard sell. I yeah, he's doing he a lot of do TV. An accent. I hope he did not do an accent on that episode. <laughs> but you have to with that name. But I would yeah. really hope so, because I don't think his German accent would be very good. All right, so I thought he had a, a little better career coming out of uh, coming out of The Cat and all, but no, it, yeah, was, like, <laughs> it was gig to gig. Yeah, pretty keep much gig it, to keeping gig. Keeping your oh, face out there. Great, great actor. Oh yeah, wonderful actor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A lot of Magnum PI. Oh, <laughs> who who didn't? Please, I, I did like Mancuso, three episodes. A lot Please. of Mancuso FBI. I don't even know that one. You know Mancuso. I don't know. I'd have to look it up. We'll do that. <laughs> right. one. We'll do that podcast next. Um, well, okay. So you guys, Loja, so you enjoyed him. Any specific uh, things that uh, popped out to you? I just, okay. I just like how just angry yeah. he was all the time, personally. Yeah. Yeah. Just being really angry at, uh, annoyed at Columbo in the kitchen, which I guess is understandable. Stressful time. Yeah. Let's speak that was time. a good kitchen scene in general. I just bought. That you know it was busy and no oh, one had yeah. time, right? Like it didn't feel. Yeah, it felt really good. Yeah. Log of extras. Yeah. I did going see back the same. Forth. Yeah, yeah. You see the same extras go by about once every twenty seconds. Right, right. <laughs> um. So what did what did you guys think of the uh, the guess the number one to four magic trick? Oh. I thought it was okay. <clears throat> I mean, it seems like yeah, that's one that you wouldn't need to pay seventeen bucks for. No, that the seventeen dollar thing I thought was a little silly, but other than that, that's the one magic part of the episode I like. That was. Pretty, I mean, that's a good thing. It made me think, like, oh, I I should try that at work sometime. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you you might learn it and think it sounds obvious, but yeah, just try it someday and you'll see how well it works. And then oh, the other thing, be to amazed. Remember, yeah. 
Yeah. And then the other thing is that that same principle is actually in lots of more elaborate magic tricks, right? Like that's that's a, that's a trick that oh, uses right. just that one principle by itself. But if you think about it, other tricks that involve multiple methods all working together can also include multiple outs, as that's known as, you know, as a oh, way to. Oh, okay. <clears throat> See, this is one of the things that will trip people up with magic tricks trying to figure them out is you'll watch it and you'll see the big conclusion and you'll think, okay, how does he do that every time? But maybe he doesn't do that every time. Maybe there's three or four different ways the trick can end, right? Oh. And that's, that's, something that will trick, that's something that will trip you up when you're trying to figure it out, you know? Um, so I like that moment. And also because um, Santini then credits Dunninger which is a name not yes, everyone recognizes. I think recognizes. you mentioned that before the, the email about doing this again. You mentioned that. So, yeah. yeah. Could, please, go. So, Dunninger, Dunninger was a huge magician. He was born a little a little bit after Houdini, like, I think, 18 or so years after Houdini, but lived much longer because Houdini died quite young, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Dunninger was basically the pioneer of radio and television magic and mentalism. He made that a thing. He was, you know, he was the first guy to really see that, medium as a place to do magic and mentalism and bring it there um so he was a massively influential guy and then i looked it up and he only died the year before this episode came out so oh. i thought that was kind of neat that they uh credited him because i like after a life is probably one of the most influential minds in magic certainly um if i if you've ever seen carson had i mean obviously there's his famous mind reading swami character but right, he also there, yeah. did Karnak. But he also did mind reading as um, I think it was Dillinger, he uh, the great Dillinger, oh. and uh, that's another mind reading bit Carson does. Uh, he did a whole show as it doing that sort of audience medium stuff. Oh, I'm getting a name, I'm getting this and that, and that was directly inspired by Dillinger. Oh wow! I, yeah, I had no idea. So wait, so um, hold on, I'm going. So I mean, the fact that they included him, you said earlier, you know, none of us know if they had anybody uh, working on the script or if they did any research but it seems like if they're including that very specific guy and this mm-hmm. trick they must have had someone or at least a yeah. couple people that they had talked to to try to get some sort of insight into this and throw something in so it seems a bit more realistic in that world sort of yeah they must have had something though at the same time while that sounds while dunninger sounds like a, a deep cut as it were now i think at the time that you know he would be on the short list of most famous magician names you could use to throw in there so it's not necessarily a a great detail on their part it might have just been you know well that's the guy who was famous on television for doing magic <laughs> well I, I i'm sorry John. it's a good possibility <clears throat> i'm not to say that's that's that sounds likely yeah yeah. Um, but I mean, anyway, that whole bit I thought was neat. And yeah, Dunninger's an interesting figure in that because, I mean, he based, you know, it wasn't immediately apparent that you could do magic on the radio, for example, but he figured out how to do it and do all those mind reading things. And the Carson bit is fun if you ever look it up. Well, he, does, gonna... he does the sort of stuff like, I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting a headache and things like that. I'll just do oh, yeah, Carson yeah, yeah. jokes, but they're good. <laughs> Um, I also want to talk about like uh, the actual club where they're performing, the Cabaret of Magic, which is based on uh, the uh, famous, weird, kind of cheesy L.A. club, which is still around, which is called the Magic Castle, I believe, right? Yeah. yeah, now I was trying to figure out, is it directly based on that, or were is it just sort of based on dinner theaters in general? Because I, I like, it is in yeah. Los Angeles, it seems like it probably is, because it was pretty yeah. well known back then. But then actually, at one point, you see some... Um, Letterhead or a poster or something that calls it the Magic Circle Club. Yeah, the Magic Circle Club. So, like, there was some weird sort of disconnect between exterior shots and 
other things. But I'm wondering, like, uh, how places like that uh, in the magic community, is that kind of seen as a sort of old-fashioned, cheesy thing or something that's... I mean, w- um, what is that on the circuit I, such as it is? Right. I don't know. I mean, like... I don't think any magician would deny that that particular club is hideous and is a terrible place to ever be. Um, I think, you know, magicians tend to be, they tend not to get too nasty about stuff like that. Cause mm-hmm. I think there's a sense of, you know, there's not that many, there's not that much magic going on. So you got to stick together to some degree. Right. And also um, it's sometimes yeah. you might get booked there. So, Hey, you don't want to bad yeah. talk it too much. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's complicated because the truth is if you want to be like a career magic entertainer, that's still sort of the only way to do it. Like really the place that's still that sort of general thing kind of still exists is Vegas, basically, you know, yeah. it's, um, and that's the only, you know, Vegas and cruise ships are two of the only steady paying gigs for magicians out there. Right. That's otherwise so you're, it seems like otherwise a... you're a touring entertainer, you know, just scrambling to book gigs like the same way a stand up comic does or whatever. And you can uh, make right. a good living that way too, but it's life on the road booking. But there's gigs, a lot, you know, but there's a lot fewer, yeah. like um, a lot fewer magic clubs than say uh, comedy clubs. Yeah, you have string together a whole bunch like consistent dates or something like that. Yeah, it's definitely harder. Yeah, you have to. It's sort of like you kind of have to get to the level comedians get to where they can start filling theaters on their own merit. And then you can tour as a magician. But again, there's not many of those doing that. Right. So that's why, you know. So, I mean, even, you know, even if you look at, say, Penn and Teller, who are kind of weird guys whose sensibility is certainly a little more original than like that crappy magic cabaret club. There's still a bunch of that feeling in their act because they're vegas entertainers right they've got to right, play yeah. the big vegas crowds right that's what they got to do so they got to do the show busy stuff and just, yeah uh, yeah they got to have showgirls and make them disappear and all this and that right well actually okay so the big central trick in this yeah the uh the the box drowning thing um knowing uh quite a bit about this uh, about this world uh, what's your estimation of that? Is that a common thing? Was that a good thing to pick as a good linchpin uh, for yeah. the episode or no? So I was trying to figure it out a bit on a timeline, and I'm not totally sure. I mean, certainly, you know, there have been many magic routines done with trap doors and things like that to sort of trick. But I, that was also sort of one of the earliest everybody knows about it type of things in magic, right? Like that was one of the first, like, yeah, you know, that, like you know, people know you're not, crate, yeah, you're not, the guy's not in the box. People know that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so it doesn't take long, even if you've never heard of a trap door, it doesn't take long to figure maybe there's a door in the stage right underneath him when he gets in that box, right? Mm-hmm. So that was one of the earliest things that, you know, I mean, I, certainly people would have still been doing tricks like that in the 70s. I don't doubt that for a second. Um, you would actually, I think you would do it much faster, right? Like when you see people do similar sorts of, you know, escape tricks and stuff now, the pace has picked up a lot, you know, because when you give the audience that long to watch the guy slowly climb into the box, then it slowly be closed and chained up and lifted up. It's, you know, you're giving the audience a lot of time to start figuring out even while it's happening in front of them, let alone after the fact, right? So when you watch similar big stage illusions that involve people disappearing and reappearing and turning up somewhere else and all this, Mm -hmm. there's, you know, lots of similar stuff where it's someone dives through a hidden door behind a hidden curtain or into a hidden corner of the big thing that's on stage, whatever. But it's all happens at a much faster pace to keep it harder to keep track of and make it a bit more of a spectacle, right? Even though you know, ultimately, sort of what's happening, it's much harder to follow then what he did is, you know, I feel like it's not hard for many people to figure that out. But they right. don't all have 
uh, adult daughters and leotards with scarves and doves, which really right. helps to distract an audience, apparently. So well, I think so that's this what is... worked here. Yeah. Well, but this is the other weird thing, right? Is once you're doing that trick and putting him into the water, the amount of time for him to get to be back is arbitrary, right? He needs like at least what 60 seconds to get his mask on and back onto the stage. Oh, right, so the yeah. fact that they've decided to do it as he's going to be in there for 11 minutes or whatever, while we do worse magic in front of the box is just, they just decided that for no reason. Why oh yeah, they no, they just decided like right. that's how long he might need to actually murder the guy. That was it. Yeah. That was the yeah, time years the ago trick, when they yeah. devised this trick, they decided that. Yeah. Well, in case someone needs to kill somebody, Someday, yeah, maybe the trick should take this yeah. long to go upstairs and shoot a sweaty guy at a typewriter. Yeah, he also think, says he. Yeah, that should be enough time. He also says he poured half his life into the illusion. Which, come on, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Yes. <laughs> he he poured half a bathtub into the illusion. Yeah. That's about <laughs> it. Yeah. Yeah. He also says that he performs it at Madison Square Garden. Yes. Like, yeah, that's, Five thousand people watching this illusion. I don't think so. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Stefan Mueller. Oh, it's uh, like okay, the great <laughs> and I looked it up. Of, yeah, Madison Garden Square Garden wasn't any smaller in 1976. So <laughs> <laughs> it's an alternate universe. They hadn't torn down the one that Stanford White built in the 1800s yet. Right. So it was still that one. That's you know I saw. One. I remember seeing a couple of uh, uh, productions at Madison Square Garden around that era, and the weird thing was how many of them involved like what, what you would think of as community theater props. Wait, what? Really? Right. Like what? Yeah, I remember we saw Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. <laughs> and uh, so they had the, the final – yeah, it was like an adaptation of the Disney movie. Mm-hmm. It was uh, – you know, there was like maybe like – they have Lion King now, so they had Snow White back then. Oh, yeah, okay. And they had the thing where um, the witch is being chased up the hill, and then I think she's struck by lightning or whatever and then falls down the other side. Mm-hmm. If I remember this correctly. and But it was like literally – it was a stairwell on – and it had just had like paper leaves and trees and and grass on it. Oh, weird! And then she was chased up that, and they would like turned it around so you could see her fake fall. Well, and, and how was, and how old were you? You could when have you, you could this? have done. Oh, I was like seven or eight. See, though, when you see that sort of thing, that's almost more frightening. It is. It was terrifying. Because but, it's a person, but then it's like a really cheap thing with bad lighting and just really sharp, strange, cheap sets. And that just seems worse somehow. It seems more, yeah, it just seems more horrifying when you see it like that than if you yeah. had seen it on the film, like in the screen or something like that. Ugh. Yeah, even like thinking about it now, I feel kind of creeped out. I'm 41. I'm like, yeah, I can imagine seeing that as a kid. It would just be like, eh, oh, this is terrible. And a giant empty room that's dark. Ugh. <laughs> oh, I got it. had a moment there. All right. Anyway. Well, I think, I think uh, yeah, your audio is getting a bit weird, so the, the typhoon out on the West Coast might be affecting yeah, you. Yeah, we, we better start wrapping, start things wrapping up. up before, yeah, before I blow away. Uh, so let's go through our overall impressions of the thing. Uh, Lee, we'll start with you. Uh, this episode overall, uh, what do you think? Uh, well, great episode. Love the Columbo stuff. So many great Columbo moments. Um, you know. Classic, classic Columbo episode, totally in my top, I don't know, I couldn't name a number, but it's right up there. Um, and, you know, I'm a huge fan of the other magic one that we discussed before. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, overall, anyone would agree this is a more classic quintessential Columbo 
episodes in that one. That one has a special spot for me because I think the magic stuff in it is really interesting and, it, you know, it weaves that into the plot in a better, more interesting way than oh, this definitely. one does always. Yeah. 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 Um, but still, I mean, this is an all-time classic. And it's also, as far as I can tell, one of the most popular and well-known ones. I mean, it's one that you can almost count on anyone with a passing familiarity with Columbo will know of the magician one. Yeah, you, you'd have to be a complete uh, gray-haired idiot and moron not to enjoy it. I can't imagine a big vulgar television personality. I know a, you'd you'd have to be working for a, for a talk show on basic cable to not enjoy <laughs> this episode. I can't imagine. Oh, I love how basic cable is such a- an insult. Aaron suggested he might end up being obsessed with Columbo a couple weeks later. I guess that didn't happen. You didn't get no. an email from him saying oh, he's been bitching it ever you, since. <laughs> you did listen to the uh, the one we did with um, George Hamilton. You brought him back. Yeah. yeah. Oh, go. Oh go no, I didn't get. Yeah, go back to it didn't Oh, he was he's okay, I'll have to check that one out then. No, you I don't have to, one. but you can if you want to. <laughs> oh, I will. <laughs> oh boy. Uh yeah, I enjoyed this one a great deal. I'm glad we got to go back to it uh because it's great. I uh, Jack Cassidy. And yeah, I didn't catch on to it until you uh said it in this like a little bit ago, John. Jack Cassidy doesn't have the sense of humor in this one that he did in the other ones. So he just yeah. seems even worse, even creepier, even more of a jerk uh, the other ones, which I enjoyed a great deal. But this one, it just seems like ugh, even more of an evil, awful person somehow. Though, uh, Publisher Paris is a very, very close second for the evil, awfulness of him. Um, yeah, great yeah. Columbo stuff in this one. The stuff with Bob Dishy is is funny uh, and strange. Um yeah, no, it's it's a very good episode. I have to say, it is one of my favorites of the seventies. Um, if I, if yeah, like top ten, fifteen, I would put that in there for sure. Definitely, this is really fun, weird stuff. And the ending, uh, where they finally get him with just Columbo pulling out the letters here and there mm-hmm. and there, yeah, <laughs> and it just it's great. And that, that last line he has. Where he said, "There's no such thing as a perfect murder. That's just an illusion," and that's how they cut it off. That that's one of the best final Columbo lines ever. Um, yeah, I liked it a great deal. John, yes, sir. What did you think, and what would well, you, you know, rate I'm, it? Uh, always a tremendous fan of Jack Cassidy. Out of the, uh, even though I I really enjoy Magoon and Culp a lot, Cassidy's hands down my favorite. I love his little like rubber faced evil ventriloquist <laughs> dummy kind of thing. I like how yes. charming he is. <laughs> He really does seem to have come out of a whole different world, not just a different school of acting. Um, I'm bouncing back and forth on whether this is my favorite Cassidy episode. Oh, and I think it's really just my mood, but it is it is really up there. There's a, a if there's any weaknesses, it's a performative weakness. They're like you know the the quality of the magic act, how much they're trying to sell, how successful it is. They're falling into a, a Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip problem. Where the more you see the uh, the character do what he's supposed to be so good at, the more you realize well they're not actually that good, and it kind of oh, right, you know, right, okay. kind of fails it a little bit. But great murder mystery, great performances by Falk, great interactions between Falk and Cassidy. Yes, um, a couple weaknesses in the in the script, a couple places where it fell loose, where relationships were not really thought out well. Like we were talking about the B plot, or I guess it maybe it'd be the C. I think the B plot was the coat plot, which was good, and the C plot was the daughter and the and her boyfriend, and that went nowhere. So a little failing there, but I'm still going to give it eight um, reproduced letters 
exposing Mueller's identity as a Nazi being whipped out of pockets by cops. <laughs> out of ten. Out of ten. Good. Good. Oh, and actually, uh, one thing I wanted to bring up. Uh, we, we, I completely forgot it was in my notes. Uh, the thing where Columbo just absolutely nails him is one of my favorite things in the entire series with the handcuffs, where he just traps him in front of an audience oh, yeah. of people with the exact same lock that was used on um, the murder victim's door, and he knows that he the guy won't be able to admit he can't do it, and it just the the scene where like that scene like the the shots just looking at each other where they both know that Columbo knows. Yeah. yeah and it just completely traps him is, is one of the best Columbo gotcha things in the entire series over like 30 years. It's one oh, of the Falk, Falk's delivery of, I knew you could do it is yeah. so good. Oh, and yeah. That's, oh, yeah. yeah. I, I couldn't, I couldn't let us stop without bringing that up. Cause that is just, it's just, it's amazing. That scene. It's great. Yeah. yeah. It's, and it's such classic, just like Columbo shoving himself into a situation yep. in a way that, like, you're embarrassed for Columbo. You almost want him to stop because it's so embarrassing but how then much it turns of, like, out... spectacle he's making out of himself. Yeah, but that just turns out, no, he's just doing that thing, gratiating himself, making him look like an idiot yeah. just to get to the point where he finds out, like, oh, no, he's actually a goddamn genius. There we go. Yeah. All right. Yep. Well, I'm oh, sorry. That's great. Oh, okay. You're saying, yep. You're agreeing. I'm saying, well, yep. Thank you, John. <laughs> Uh, all right, well, Lee, thank you for doing this. Uh, if people want to see what's up with you these days, where should they look for that sort of thing? Uh, well, they can check me out on techdirt.com, which is where I write various things and stuff. Um, and if you want to see me do magic and mentalism, you can just Google my or YouTube search my name, basically. That's the best way to find that. Okay. Videos <laughs> out there. Um, yeah, and, you know, that's I'm, I'm, I don't have some big online calling card. I'm just around... <laughs> <laughs> all right, good. Just, just hanging out on the internet. Yeah, out there. If you know where to look, there yeah. he is. Yep. Perfect. Fine. All right. Well, thank you. When for was your... the last time you really had trouble finding something on the internet? That's true. That's a good. Oh, point. just just yesterday. Oh, really? What yeah. was it, John? So, so frustrating. I don't want to. I don't want to in front of the bus. But I was trying to find a bio for a contributor to, <laughs> to a comic I was just putting out, and he wasn't replying to emails. And then everywhere I went online, none of his links links worked oh. and it turned out i found out after like a day and a half he changed his sort of handle his internet handle on everything wow i, and I don't really think recently, i'd be able to so. do that for all of them i don't oh, i'd have it would take me like, uh, way to go anyway nice marketing so I, pal i'm gonna have to go because it looks like i can actually see the storm approaching the oh, okay house. so we'll so we'll wrap this up really quick <laughs> all right well thank you uh lee for doing the show um, that's our episode for this time. If you want to listen to other episodes of Just One More Thing, uh, you can head to jomtpodcast.com. They're all up there. Or you can subscribe to us. Uh, do a search for Just One More Thing in iTunes, uh, Google's podcast service, Stitcher, what have you. Uh, we're in all of them, uh, pretty much. And if you'd like to leave a review, if you do enjoy the show, uh, we wouldn't mind that either. Uh, if you want to follow us on Tumblr, where JMT Podcast uh, posts uh, things that other folks have posted on Tumblr, screenshots, that sort of thing. And then John always, after every episode, uh, posts a whole bunch of great screenshots, his further thoughts and things, which are always very interesting to read. And it's usually stuff that I completely forgot and overlooked and are much better than what the heck I'm thinking. Uh, if you'll follow us on Twitter, too, we're always posting the latest episode on there. Uh, we like getting comments on that. 
I'll hit the like, I'll hit the retweet, I'll do whatever you want. JMTPodcast.twitter.com And if you just like to drop us a nice little note, something like that, we like getting emails. It's Columbo at the net. That's it, that's a program. Thank you for listening. I'm RJ White. I'm John Morris. About to blow away. Hopefully we'll hopefully we'll hear from him next time. Thank you. <laughs> uh, good night, everybody. Oh, listen, just one more thing. Oh God, I, I, that went really well. I'm glad we did that. I'm glad we uh, redid it uh, yeah, from sure the last one. Well, no, I mean, I, I felt bad because you know we had Blair on a couple of years ago, and I know. I mean, we both like this episode. I know you really like this one. You really like Jack Cassidy. So I did, uh, it felt bad that it kind of what? Well, I don't. I don't know that I. I really like this episode. Really? I thought. Yeah. I thought like, we talked about this. I mean, like no. Blair, I mean, it's just like, like, like. Do you like this? No, it's really? just. Yeah, it doesn't make any fucking sense. Wait, what the do you whole mean? goddamn whole goddamn shitting fucking thing. Wait, what, what He's like what a do you cop. Mean? Everybody wait, treats wait, him wait. like a shit. Well, He's yeah, a fucking I mean, cop. This show doesn't wait. make any sense. Well, I, and I hate John, the coat. Wait, no. Why does he have a fucking goddamn coat? No, no, John. Oh, I did see she wears he goes to his little stupid I, house. Oh, it's no. magic in the fucking house. Oh, and he's a no. Nazi magic. And what the oh. fuck with the shit of a dam and a, oh. a fart and a hat with a shit on it.